Andy, welcome to the RT Rugby Podcast ahead of Scotland this weekend. I wouldn't quite say it's a must-win game. Well, maybe it is in the eyes of the IRFU anyway, in pressure on Andy Farrell and the coaching team. But I'm looking forward to getting stuck into it with Donald Lennon, Bernard Jackman and Wes Liddy. Donald, look, I don't think it's, it's quite must-win territory yet, but it's a very important game in the context that Ireland went out the last time. They looked pretty good against an average enough Italy side to score some very nice tries. But this week's end's opposition is a different test altogether. And it'll be interesting to see how Ireland cope. Yeah, look, I think it's, uh, it's going to be a fascinating game in many ways. I think it is a really important game. Um, you know, we, we, we bounced back against Italy, as you said, showed a lot of good signs. Um, but Italy, 18 penalties, two yellow cards. You know, people are talking about England's indiscipline, averaging 14 penalties a game. Italy are even so far ahead of that. Um, but look, you've got to take the positives from Italy, but they only matter if you perform against Scotland. In many respects, the clock has been wound back to December, if you remember. Uh, we ended up playing Scotland in that kind of third, fourth playoff of the uh, Autumn Nations Cup. There was a lot of pressure on Ireland going into that game, and Ireland played really well. They responded. Uh, they played good attacking rugby that day as well. Scotland, as is their want, kind of uh, flattered to deceive. Um, but this is going to be a, a, a different test in that, uh, you know, we heard Paul O'Connell talking yesterday about the best Scottish side that, you know, he has seen or maybe have come up against. Um, I'd, I'd question that to some degree. Uh, if it's the Scotland team that played so well against England, then I think he's absolutely right. But if it's the Scottish team that fell apart uh, from the moment Xander Ferguson got sent off against Wales, where then that sort of mental... Uh, issues that Scotland have and their capacity to implode and find reasons to um, to explain away defeats. You know, th- there are doubts surrounding the Scottish team. So um, that, that makes it a fascinating game for me. I think there's a lot of similarities first between the Irish and the Scots going into games that they're expected to win. And I say that in the context of it never really suits Ireland to go in as these overwhelming favourites, um, whether it's World Cups or Six Nations Championships or even one-off tests. And Scotland against England, not many people gave them too much of a prayer. They went out, put in a brilliant performance and managed to beat them. The following week against Wales, when we thought, well, sure, they have to back it up now, and they didn't. And I think Paul O'Connell, by saying this is the best Scottish team he's ever faced, is actually being quite cute uh, by, by sharing them with compliments. Yeah, look at Yeah, I think that... Um, I think we all... We're massively impressed by Scotland um, against England. I think now we have to question how good that form is. Um, England are definitely, we're slow to start this competition. Obviously, backbone by Saracens players. Um, and they are struggling to, to get up to the pace of Six Nations. Now, I think by round five, when we play them, they'll be they'll be in a lot better shape. But um, it'll be interesting to see how, how England do this weekend against, against France, because there'll be certainly a lot of areas of concern for Eddie Jones from their performances against Wales and, and Scotland. I do think Scotland are a better side than they have been for the last three or four years, just because they seem to be a little bit more pragmatic. Um, they've got a better set piece, better defence, and they still have you know very talented individuals like, like Finn Russell and, and Stuart Hogg who have the capacity to, to change a game, but also the capacity to, to lose a game as well. And I think that's what Ireland will be looking at, trying to... I think it'll be a boring enough style of game, of game plan, but looking to basically beat them up, put a squeeze on them, play the percentages and, and make Scotland overplay and then capitalise on that. And I think a win this weekend without having to hit our straps attacking-wise um, will probably be more important for the team and, and Andy Farrell than going out there and trying to play you know, uh, a very expansive style of rugby when we're not maybe ready to play it yet and, and potentially losing because I think if you lose it, it just makes the England game, you know, incredibly uh, important and, and pressurised when it shouldn't need to be. That's pretty depressing, isn't it? That we are going out to play Scotland and we're going to have to keep it tight to win because we're not quite ready to play an attacking band of rugby. That's pretty absolutely dour. Think about that. Scotland, like. Scotland, Wales. Yeah, it's probably it's probably a sign of how we've slipped a little bit that we're talking about it on an even footing. We probably haven't dealt with Scotland too often in the last twenty years, but like there's two games left, and in the context of this whole project under Andy Farrell, there's probably three outcomes. Does you win both games, and on the back of having beaten Italy, you're very much on an upward curve. Everything's positive. You're moving forward. 
you win one game, you're probably in the same position you entered the season where there's, you know, some hope but some uncertainty. And, and the disastrous situation is you lose both, and in which case there is real pressure there. So it, it is getting close to the realm of a must-win game, I think. And I suppose we all thought maybe the Italy game would turn the corner in terms of that style. But, you know, maybe, maybe it, like, there was such a contrast between the way they played there and the way they played against France in terms of their attacking approach that, you know, maybe it is a, a horses-for-courses approach they're taking. And, and maybe, you know, that will facilitate them becoming a bit more conservative conservative against Scotland again. I think in the context, Donald, of, of, of the Italy match, it's a bit like, you know, maybe the senior squad training with the 20s during the Six Nations weekend and looking really good, but well, actually, you know, they're not as good as perhaps they might have shown against the Italians. You know, this thought that we're going to have to play it tight against Scotland, do you agree with that, first of all? And if so, how do you feel about that, given it's Scotland? And I'm not trying to be disrespectful to the Scots. Yeah, look, I'd hate to see us take two steps back again from the way that we played against um, Italy. I mean, I think when we held on to the ball, when we created opportunities for the likes of Keegan uh, coming in, he showed you know uh, the quality he has as a as an attacking full back. Uh, I think we have the capacity to stress defenses more than we're doing by by continually kicking the ball away. And I suppose an interesting selection from that perspective, and maybe uh, the one that will tell us most is who starts at scrum half. I mean, Gibson Park, uh, you know, I, I think he's done well in the games that he's played, and he definitely picks up the tempo of the game in terms of uh, he taps and go off penalties. He tends to move the ball, and you play from uh, from the, the first or second receiver after him. Uh, if Conor Murray comes back in, well, then you would think perhaps we're going back to playing more of a kicking game. So that's going to be instructive for me. Um, but I think we have... Like uh, we, we have seen that Henshaw and Ringrose can create issues for any midfield that they'll come up against. And if you can play off them, I think there are opportunities there for that back three. And I also look at the Scottish team. I mean, I had a quick run there again at, at, at the Scottish team before we, we uh, came on. I mean, you look at their, their, their forwards. I mean, they did brilliantly against England, but uh, Hamish Watson, for me, outstanding at seven, a contender to go on the Lions tour. Matt Fagerson or Blade Thompson in the back row? I mean, who would you take given what we have? Uh, a front row, like the Turner at hooker. Uh, WP Nell is probably a prop. Um, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be overly concerned about, uh, you know, taking them on. And that's where in previous years, I think the difficulty and the challenge for Farrell is like we've beaten Scotland nine times over 10 when we've played them over the past decade. Um, and we've done that by stressing it up front, by bullying them up front, by controlling possession, retaining the ball through multiple phase rugby and stressing them. Um, I think we can still do that with the pack we have, but I think uh, we could add more balance to our game. And that is what I want to see. Like we're either all, we're either all ducking no dinner or we're the other way. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's a question of better balance to our game and that is something that evolves as the game progresses. And that's what I would like to see, not sticking rigidly to a plan. But, you know, we keep hearing about heads up rugby and players. Uh, Mike Hatt only two weeks ago came out and put the pressure back on the players by saying, you know, they have to react to what's happening in front of them. And therefore, uh, I think if that is the case, then we should see a more balanced approach. Does the rationale from keeping it tight, uh, Birch, stem primarily from, against Scotland so specifically, stem from trying to stop Finn Russell being allowed to do what he is so good at, which is broken field rugby, which is trying to catch teams unaware and basically play it loose and fast. And that's where he's at most effective. By keeping it tight, are we essentially trying yeah. to negate his best strength? Yeah, I think we're trying to make him overplay and get frustrated, which he tends to do, to be honest, and throw those wild passes. Um, and... Yeah, and the only problem is is that the Scottish pack isn't as weak as it was historically. Um, so that's going to be a, a challenge for Ireland to be able to really put the stranglehold on them. Now, in fairness, our set piece has been has been very good. Um, our pack have lots of power and uh, and uh, ability, so we should be able to. But they are improving. They they certainly are improving as a, 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 a particularly in terms of their their set piece, and they've gone away from that free flowing game that. 
Gregor Townsend implemented with Glasgow and tried to implement with, with Scotland. So, um, but I do think, yeah, they're going to want to try and play territory for sure and get a lead and get Scotland to chase the game because I think that is what we have to, that is something Scotland have to learn is the ability to stay patient. And uh, I think with individuals like, like Finn Russell particularly, he struggled. And he's used to an armchair ride with Racing Metro where his pack are dominant. Um, and the test for him will be in international rugby when they're living off scraps, how patient he can stay. Mm. Who would you start on Hooker, by the way, Birch, before I get Wes's view? Would you, would you, would you pick yeah, Ron I'd Keller? start Keller. I think Keller, um, I think Keller is the coming man. And, and I think uh, the big part of why we looked better in attack against um, Italy was... You know, our forwards were more dynamic. So you had Kilcoyne, you had Kelleher, um, you had Tyburn in there with, with Henderson and James Ryan. You had a lot more ball carriers than we had earlier in the competition. And yeah, I would start with Kelleher. And I think the way Paul O'Connell set the line out, line out up now, everybody seems a lot more comfortable. Um, we're thrown to space a lot more. Um, everything has settled down. When you compare the line out now to what it was like in, in the Autumn Cup and, and last year's Six Nations, you know, the hooker was always under pressure to try and hit double tops because we weren't calling good options. We weren't finding space. So I think it's easier now for a hooker. And and I think Herring is a better thrower at the moment than Kelleher. But I think Kelleher is a better player around the field. And, and I would, I think he's going to be the world, I think he's going to be the hooker for the World Cup. So I would say um, get him in now. Okay. Wes, would you agree with that? And also Connors as well in the back row. Um I'd like to see him being kept faith with. I think he's he's got an awful lot of potential. Um, who would you pick, Kelleher? I'd definitely pick Kelleher. I think we were talking about this months ago, about this debate, about his throwing versus the power he brings. Um, yeah. I think we've been crying out for a, a kind of dynamic hooker. Like, I mean, even watching Super Rugby last weekend, you see what the likes of Cody Taylor and Amua with the Hurricanes are bringing to things. And it'd be great to kind of to go somewhere towards matching that. And I, I agree with Birch. I think the... The platform was, I think it was the front row carrying particularly, and I'd, I'd stick with Dave Kilcoyne over, over Kean Healy as well. I think he's bringing a bit more energy to things. Um, and yeah, I mean, the temptation would be to go with that same pack. Now, it is all prefaced against how poor the opposition were, but uh, I think that pack en masse from the last day has probably earned the right to go again. Yeah. I Another area that I'm looking at is Scotland team down um, and where they could do damage. And this is, I guess it's kind of preferred by saying if Finn Russell gets on top and he gets the ball wide, both Darcy Graham and Duhan van der Merwe are very good wingers. And James Lowe, not to single him out, uh, I guess, but he has been responsible um, for, for a couple of, of key tries let in defensively in terms of reads that he has or hasn't made and tackles that he's fallen off here. If we're not on the ball, on the wings, those two lads could do an awful lot of damage for Scotland this weekend. Yeah, they have. And you throw... Um... Stuart Hogan to the middle of them. I mean, he's had an outstanding championship. Um, that is, you know, when I was talking about the Scotland team, uh, and I accept what Birch is saying, they are certainly way stronger up front now than they have been for some time. Uh, but it's, you know, their halfbacks in the back three, really, um, that's where their threat comes from. Uh, Van der Merve, we've seen him for Edinburgh over the past number of years. Now he, he looks in contention to go on the Lions. I mean, he's unbelievably strong. Uh, he always beats the first man. Uh, you also have Maitland also could come into the mix there as well. So, um, you know, they are uh, incredibly potent in the back three. So, therefore, if we are playing that territory game and trying to play uh, in their half of the field, well, then our kicking game has to be absolutely spot on because we know what they'll do. Um, in terms, so, I mean, that is a concern. Uh, I'd be, I'm not quite sure, is Cameron Redpath, is he back in the equation yet after injury in the opening game? Um, sure. I thought he was outstanding against England. I think they've lost, they, they looked as if they'd found a good balance in midfield in that opening game. Uh, but Redpath's injury has kind of set them back a little bit there as well. Um, so, yeah, look, there's no question that that, that Scottish back three is, is, is one of the best in the championship. Um, but going to Ireland... Uh, I, sorry, that's Brian Hickey, the con coach there, looking for more <laughs> players. Uh, Answer it there, work away. Go on, put it on the speakerphone for the crack. Give us an insight into the Corcon wheeler dealer type relationship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't exist. Uh, but going back, sorry, to the, to the pack. I mean, I go back to prior to the Italy game. Um, I thought that pack had the best balance that I've seen for a while. I was really excited about it. 
Uh, I thought they performed extremely well against Italy, albeit with the reservations that we have made. But, uh, you know, I, I, Kelleher is a mustard hooker. Um, you know, and I keep going back. Fellas like Keith Wood, um, Jerry Flannery, they all went through issues with throwing early in their career. And, you know, I mean, that's something that hookers have to just work through. Um, so, like, for me, he is that player of the future. He is dynamic. With, with Young Sheehan and Leinster, another guy that, you know, could be in the running come the next World Cup. Um, but I just think that balance of what we had starting, I love James Ryan, Henderson and Byrne working in the same pack, giving us all those options line-out-wise. And then, I mean, I keep the same bench that we had. I mean, you've the likes of, of Keen Healy, Andrew Porter, who's had a fantastic season. Uh, Ryan Baird, I really hope they keep Ryan Baird on the bench. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you're looking at dynamic players, great carriers, people who can beat opposition players. And that's what it's about if they're forwards. And you're talking about an offloading game. If your forwards can get their hands through and, and contribute in that respect, then the likes of Ringrose and Hinshaw, they get the opportunity to play. But, you know, that's predicated on the usual things of your set piece functioning. And let's be honest, the set piece, the scrum has come on in leaps and bounds in the last six months. And the line out, um, you know, for all the reasons I think that Birch has, has, has pointed out, has, has been great. And once you have confidence to play off a platform like that, then it opens up all other opportunities for you. If Herring is the future, Birch, is Casey the future? And if so, does he merit keeping his place on the bench? Uh, Tell her the future, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. If Case, but Craig Casey, does Craig Casey yeah. Meyer keeping his place on the bench? Yeah, look, I think Craig is. I think Craig's brilliant. Um, I think he's a breath of fresh air. Um, you know, he sent back to play for his province last week. If Murray's fixed, <laughs> fit, I think. I think Farrell will go with with Murray and Gibson Park. Um, Do you? Maybe, oh, Christ, maybe not Murray starting. Maybe not Murray starting. Maybe Gibson Park starting this week. Um, if he wants to play high tempo, as, as Donald said, that'll tell us a lot about how we want to play against him. Um, I actually think you'll go with Murray to start, to be honest, and give the park oh. on the bench. Um, and I think Casey, Casey would then miss out. But I, I don't think, look, at, as long as Craig keeps getting game time um, and keeps keeps showing what he can do, he will eventually, you know, get an opportunity to start but to, and, and, and see how he goes. So I'm not, I wouldn't say far leave him Casey out this week if he does. Is is a uh, is the end of him. I, I just think that uh, you know he, he just has to be a bit more patient. Can somebody tell me the last time Conor Murray put in a decent, good standout performance for Munster or for Ireland? I can't remember the last time. I can't remember it. Like genuinely, and I, I think this weekend, if we're saying, look, you know that look, I know the case. He only got sixteen minutes off the bench. I understand that he played for Munster last weekend. Wes, you know, when is the time to make the transition to back the young guys coming through to give them the experience? And Casey, even with, I, I noticed several former internationals say the zippy added we came in, the pace that he brings to the game, you know, the passing, the little cheeky little breaks. That's exactly what we should be looking for. I, I just think if we go back to Conor Murray, it's a huge amount about yeah. our ambition. I don't think Conor Murray's been, been terrible by any means. He maybe hasn't hit the height he, he was hitting two, three years ago, but I could understand that rationale if he was 33 or 4, but like you're talking about a guy 29, 30 that was hasn't played well in three years. The best or the second best scrum half in the world for the majority yeah. of the last yeah, He was five years year. ago. He was five years ago, Wes. Not, not, he hasn't played uh, five, well. In five might be pushing years. it now. Three years ago, maybe. No, no, no. Four years um, at least. And I think there's a contrast with him and Gibson Park or Casey in, in the approach Bo can bring, whereas if you go with Gibson Park and it's not really, and you're looking to bring tempo and it's not quite working, well, I mean, Casey's more of the same in a ex less experienced version. So I, I'd be with Birch. I wouldn't see a, a step back to, I wouldn't see going to Connor as a, as a retrograde step at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think Hugh, you're a bit harsh on, on Connor Murray and his performances in the November period. I thought he, he, he had certainly uh, approached where he was two or three years ago. Uh, I also think there is there's a huge difference, and I'm all for the likes of Casey and these guys getting game time, coming in off the bench. But as we've seen, it's a totally different dynamic starting. Even you know the likes of Ben Healy, who'd been doing so well off the bench for Munster, he's had a couple of games, you know, with Munster recently where you know he struggled to find the same rhythm. All of a sudden, even Craig Casey starting, no, you know, the opposition know know who you are. They know what your strengths are. They put more pressure on you. So there is a learning curve for these guys. I think it's brilliant that Casey has been involved. 
Uh, I, personally, I'd love to see him kept on the bench, but it's not the end of the world if he misses out on this one. Uh, he's taken the first key steps. Um, he has a battle on his hands. I mean, he, you know, himself and Murray will be fighting for that number nine jersey in Munster for certainly the next season or two. So, um, you know, you're going to need both of them on top of their game. Would you say, Donald, Ben Healy has no chance of playing consistently well rugby with that haircut that he has at the moment? I, mean, <laughs> I don't know where these, uh, all this thing where you're kind of shaving half in the middle now, like it's, you know, it's all or nothing. Uh, I notice it must be something to do with super rugby. Every fellow I've seen in the Southern Hemisphere is that particular haircut at the moment. Uh, yeah. Either that or the hairdressers are just aren't what they used to be. I don't know. We'll make up our uh, minds. Maybe you have to pay them in installments or something. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Um, England against France, Burge, is going to be a cracker. Um, I can't wait for it. Um, I think a lot of people expect England to have a reaction against France this weekend because they, they haven't played well really since the World Cup. Um, but, I mean, expecting them to go at some age sometimes can be quite dangerous. Do you think they'll put up to France this weekend? Yeah, I think they would. I think they... Uh, when they lost the first game, Eddie Jones came out and said, look, we have to fix our attack. It's it's broken. And it's probably very hard for him to fix it while they're winning games, which they have been winning games or had been winning games uh, in 2020, um, even though they weren't impressive. And I think the fact they've lost two, um, they will open it up. He obviously hasn't pulled or taken the knife out to his squad because there's guys like Sam Simmons and, and Marcus Smith, etc., playing very well in the, in the premiership that haven't been added. So, um, it's the same group of players. I think look at the biggest issue for him has been, I said at the start, is the Saracens fellas are you know obviously out of form. And but like, would you discard Macavunapola? Do you discard Owen Farrell? You know, do you discard Maratoji? I don't think you do. I think you just gotta be patient and, and see that they're still gonna be around for the next World Cup. And there's a lot of things off the field, reasons off the field why maybe they're having this dip. Uh, Do you know what Perch, just on the, didn't they lose to Cornish Pirates so, uh, last weekend, Saracens? I think they lost, was it the Cornish yeah. Pirates? So, yeah. <laughs> like, and we, we've spoken on the podcast, you know, about the difference. It was a very good Cornish Pirates team, no, you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're being disparaging again. Yeah, some real, real titans of industry in that team. Uh, but uh, haven't, we've spoken about this before, about the, the, the difference in standard, the jump in standard coming from your club game to international level is huge. Now, if you take that back another 50% into the lower division of English rugby coming from that standard yeah. to international standard, maybe does Eddie Jones not have to do, you know, get rid of those guys on a temporary basis and say, look, you're not playing at the standard I need, so you're not the guys I need. No, because, well, he already made that decision. He, he made that decision, Hugh. Yeah, it's nothing to do with the standard of the championship because effectively he made the, the, the championship hadn't started. Um, so effectively he decided to... To, to ring fence those guys. Only Billy Vunapola played one game against Ealing in a, in a kind of a made-up yeah. cup because he, he needs game time. The rest of the lads didn't play at all. So he made that decision. And obviously now, post-Six Nations, you know, they'll go back to the championship for, I think, five games. Um, and then, then it's over. And, and I, well, look, maybe they won't go up. If they don't go up, obviously, he's going to have to make a call. But I think if they don't go up, all those players won't stay in Saracens next year. They'll move to the Premiership club. So I just think... The fact that they were so reliant on those Saracens players, the fact they had no game time, um, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff happened. Like a lot of those marquee players uh, left left Saracens. It must be very difficult that environment. Um, a club that was had such stability to now be up in uh, you know up in the air, will they go back up, etc. So, and the human side of things does affect players' form. So I just think, but I also think he's right to 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 stick with the guys I mentioned. Maybe Elliot Daly might. Might drop out, you know, this week, and we look at someone like Max Malins or or whatever, or move Anthony Johnson to fullback, or Anthony, uh, Anthony Watson to fullback. Um, it's it's going to be it's going to be really interesting how they play because they actually played some decent stuff against against Wales and also France. How are they going to bounce back from eleven players haven't had haven't had COVID? You know, and I'm, yeah, um, Arthur Vincent, he's still not well enough to play. Um, you know, it's 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 not a simple. Basically, you're starting off again for both teams. I think, well, particularly France, you're starting off again to see where they're going to be with with such a, a disruption to their squad. And that's an interesting point about COVID as well, Wes, because um, just to draw a comparison with Liverpool briefly, I know like you can they suffered three or four um, positive COVID tests early in the season, and then you can make a serious argument that Liverpool have struggled with those players that have come back and those players themselves haven't really hit the heights of last season. And that might be something to do with the way the side is playing, but you just don't know how players are going to react to this COVID and it affects different players differently. And 
I don't know. It'll be interesting to see France this weekend, who they pick first of all, and, and, and can they get back to the, the heights that they hit in the first couple of rounds? Yeah, I suppose Salah was the one that was talked about with Liverpool, that you don't quite get that last one or two percent in yeah. terms of conditioning, and it's hard to recover it. And, you know, we've heard a lot of talk about that. But look, I don't know the answer to that is, is the bottom line. But uh, I suppose with the with the Saris, like one, I'd, I'd love to see France win because, well, they're playing England for a start. Yeah. But other than that, I'd love to see their progress continue and see them develop into the team that we all think they can be. And um, with the England guys, you would think that those, that Saracens core, like I'd agree with Bert, you would have thought that by the end of the championship, they would have came up to pace because it's not like they're, they're inexperienced players. I mean, but I suppose just moving away from that game slightly is there's probably a core of four or five guys there, Saracens players that are like, in reality, they're kind of generational players for at club and country level. And, um, and they also would have been mainstays, I'm sure, penciled in as definite starters for Warren Gatland. And they go back to a championship now, potentially for another two months before a Lions tour. And there's certainly no wiggle room to try and get them to pace quickly for, you know, this alleged uh, truncated four-game test series that might come in, in June or July. So it's um, the, the repercussions of the Saracens thing on so many levels have, have been massive. Um but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping France can continue where they left off the last day. But like you'd say, there's not a lot of continuity there with COVID stuff. But equally, they made, what was it, 13 changes the last time they went to Twickenham and it took England extra time to beat them. So it's very hard to call. The only person who doesn't seem affected at all by, by, by Saracens, um, of the Saracens players, Donald, is Marowatoji. I'm guessing you could put Marowatoji in the Greystones J3s for six <laughs> months and he'd still be able to turn out for England and do his stuff. He's an unbelievable athlete. He's, he's an unbelievable player. Uh, obviously, there's an issue around his discipline at the moment. Uh, five penalties. England gave away 14 against Wales. He was responsible for five of them. And no matter how good you are, uh, you, some of the penalties he gave away were, were borderline. I think the problem for Atosia now is referees are talking about him. You know, he, he plays on the edge all the time. He's uh, always looking to put pressure on, on scrum halves from... Uh, you know, base of rocks, is he onside, is he offside? He plays right on the edge, and now he's generated this focus on him. So I think he just has to t- take a step backwards. Uh, and I've no doubt Eddie Jones uh, will have had a word with him now because he's he's just attracting too much attention. Uh, I do fear that those Saracens guys uh, may hit the ground running in the next week or two, given the amount of games they've played. But that said, collectively, England... They look as if the zip has gone out of them. They look as if the energy is, is, is just not there. And, you know, I suppose you, you get to a World Cup final, you, you play the rugby of your life, you beat New Zealand in a semi-final in the manner they did uh, to get comprehensively beaten in the final. I don't know, is the psychological damage from that still sort of hovering around in them? But they've been consistently below the level that we expect from them now for a long time. They were like that right throughout the autumn. Um, so uh, I, I suppose the, the, the imponderable for next weekend is can France, I mean France had all the momentum after beating Ireland in Dublin, they now will have four weeks without a game, have they lost that momentum going into this match I think the Covid issue is, is a huge one, how does it affect them physically, I think the only two players that have been uh, ruled out are Uno Antonio the prop and Arthur Vincent, okay, now the plus they have is since the last game, Vakitawa was back for Racing 92 last weekend and apparently played really well. And Galtier looks as if he's ready to pick him. He doesn't even have to drop anyone though because Vincent is out of the team. So he brings him straight in. Also, Entomac played for Toulouse last weekend. Mm-hmm. So they were a crucial part of their side throughout the championship last year and in the autumn. So uh, all of a sudden, you get those two. Now, personally, I think uh, Jalabert has been outstanding. Um, so I mean, it's 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 uh, you're you're spoiled with the riches you have there. But um, Bakatoa could be a game changer. Um, it's a question. There's also a bit of talk in Birch. You're normally our French correspondent. You know everything that's going on in, in across the channel. But apparently, um, the players were really pissed off with Galtier in terms of the the way he broke the bubble. And, you know, and we all know they went for their waffles in Italy and all that. But taking that aside, they've been under so much uh, of a strict 
regime in terms of um, the way they've had to conduct themselves over the past few weeks and months. Galtier laid down the law when, you know, we, we've been talking about this project, about indiscipline of the French in the past. We're not putting up with this anymore. Yet, when it came to losing the momentum, the Scotland game being cancelled, he was the one who, like where all the focus has come on. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what the dynamic is within the, the group as a result of that. Uh, I'm with Wes in that I think France, the rugby they've played, uh, I, you know, I, I'd love to see them continue that against England on Saturday. Uh, I think also it'll help the Irish cause of France beat England because then England have, have won from four coming to Dublin. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're really on their knees. So, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to that game. And especially, I hope he picks back in Tower because uh, he just brings something different. Um, when, when Donald Lennon goes, when the French rugby players go to Rome and let loose for the morning and break the bubble, they go looking for fancy Italian waffles. When Donald Lennon gets loose in Rome, he goes looking for bacon, egg and sausage in the morning. That's the cultural <laughs> difference between the Irish and the French, but so be it. Do you think that um, Entomac could play a 12 birch this weekend with Vakatawa coming back and accommodate both Jalibert and Entomac and have two make two playmakers for France? Um, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think I think they. I'd like to see him stick with Jalibert. I agree with Donald. He's got. He's a. He's a super talented player in France. They they feel Entomac is more of a game manager. So he's the safer choice. Now, he's um he has lots of flair as well, and lots of ability, but Jalibert has really taken this opportunity that he's got through into Max injury um, to, to come in and, uh, and really impress. So, so the selection there is going to be really interesting. I, I would say that Vakatara in, you've got to bring Vakatara back in and play him Fiku. I mean, you know, and, um, you know, you've got two unbelievably powerful centres there and Doolan, Doolan can step up as a second playmaker. Like they're, they're all very comfortable on the ball. I, I, I don't think there's probably... They need to be like us, where we want Joey Carby and Sexton, etc., or 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 England with Farrell forward. Um, I think they can get the ball to wider channels, um, far easier than than maybe the rest of the rest of the Six Nations teams are. I think just a huge game. I'm just going back on that. There is definitely rumours of discontent in in, in the in France around Galtier and his um, his arrogance and his disrespect for the rules, and also the fact that they threw the preparator physically threw a fitness coach under the bus as as being COVID zero when the players knew he wasn't and, and it was that what actually caused it to get out about Galtier because someone in the playing squad leaked it and there's a rumour that Bernard Laporte warned the players if there's any more leaks none of them will play for France in the World Cup wow, Jesus. they want to close it down so but Galtier this has been Galtier's issue Gal, Galtier is a genius um, but in Montpellier in Toulon there was a feeling that he was he felt he was better than the, the players and and um, he prioritised his own individual uh, gigs rather than the team stuff. So I think it's pretty important for him that they get a performance this weekend and just get back on track because they were absolutely cruising and, and had momentum. And if they mess it up because of not sticking to the protocols, it'd be just so French. This I mean, is just brilliantly French. Like They've assembled the best, most talented coaching squad there has ever been. They're getting the players to play absolutely brilliantly. And their own infighting could bring the whole house of cards yeah, back. I know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's I have to classic. say, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm shattered. <laughs> having, having just thought I topped the, the French correspondent, with my little bit of knowledge about Galtier, he's he's got no. in under all the rocks. <laughs> allegedly, he's got all the stories. Oh, no. Jesus! Allegedly, don't allegedly. Oh, brilliant! It'd be so French. It'd be so typically French. Um, right, we'll wait and see. Speaking of the French, um, Wes, nice handy ones for Munster and Leinster in our Champions Cup draw. A Munster to lose and Leinster to lose. I suppose Toulon not the force of old, but still two uh, two very difficult ties for the two Irish provinces, isn't it? Yeah, it's a brilliant run of fixtures now with the, the last two rounds and then the France-Scotland game in the Six Nations leading into a, a Pro 14 final and then, you know, at least one round in Europe, maybe two. Um, yeah, I'd fancy Leinster strongly against Toulon. Um, Toulouse would be, like, it's the kind of one where over the last, or I suppose it's happened twice in the last 10 years, they've played quarterfinals against Munster, but the... It's the kind of one where the, the home crowd has kind of tipped it in Munster's favour a little bit, but obviously that's not going to be such an issue this time around. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough tie. It's, it's mouthwatering one, though. Really, um, really looking forward to that one. 
Yeah, and Donald, as, as Wes said, like the block of the next six weeks of rugby is just, if you're a rugby fan at all, it's it's dream stuff, isn't it? It's brilliant. I mean, I was thinking, you know, oh God, you know, obviously we're in a bit of a fortunate position. We're getting to see some rugby live. Uh, thinking, oh God, like Ireland, England, Six Nations, what have we got after that? The following weekend, you have Munster, Leinster. Then you have those uh, quarterfinals in, or sorry, last 16 in Europe. And they are uh, mouthwatering clashes. It's, it's just a pity you know, that the Thoman factor that Wes is talking about, like that Toulouse team, and given that they've so many guys like Cyril Bay and Marchand in the, in the French front row, they have so many guys back on the French team now, whereas they had drifted for the past five or six years. Uh, certainly those quarterfinals, Munster put a huge amount of points on them. They were nowhere near the Toulouse teams that we had come to love and admire uh, and, and uh, certainly see Munster and Leinster play so many times over the previous 10 15 years uh i i that's going to be a brilliant game um uh, you know having the likes of colby you'll have uh, dupont and entomac at half back um likewise like leinster uh toulon certainly not as good as they were but like they have serin and carbonal at half back even mm-hmm. a bit up front but they're more sort of individual talents thrown together they haven't been back where they were uh, I mean, the guy who must be paying the fella pulling the balls out of the uh, tube is Raj. I mean, La Rochelle have got this absolutely brilliant draw. I mean, they could go the whole way to the semi-final. So that'll be interesting to watch. Um, but that stayed. Uh, if you take it, if Munster, I think Leinster will beat Toulon. Munster, that's going to be a very difficult game. But you look at what lies beyond that. Leinster will probably have to go to Sandy Park to play against Exeter, who are the reigning champions. So that'll be fascinating. I think Exeter will want to prove, you know, that their sort of winning the Champions Cup last year wasn't a, a flash in the pan. And you'd have Munster having already beaten Claremont in the Marcel Michelin this year, may have to go back there again. I mean, they play Wasps away. Now, uh, as we've seen, Claremont aren't the team they were, but still they have incredible individual talent. But uh, to think Munster, I mean, what a game that was when they beat them Oh God, about about three or four months ago now, but to think that they'd have to go back there in the same tournament to beat them again uh, is fascinating. So look, I think to be fair to um, EPCR, uh, with rounds three and four having to be cancelled and no room to replay them, I think they've actually, the job they've done in redrawing the tournament has actually worked quite well. So let's give them a bit of credit for once. Absolutely, because it was it was a mess there for, for a while. Just on t- too long, Birch. I mean, like, you know, are they still a, a strong side? I've just gone through their last few results. I mean, they're still well capable of putting up victories and stuff. It won't be a walkover for Leinster by any means. No, but they are a pale comparison to, to the side they're winning um, European Cups with Backy's Boat and, and Matt Gitto, etc. I watched them a couple of weeks ago, they lost to Bayonne at home. Um, which would be a big shock. Yeah, they, they are a team of individuals and, and uh, Patrice Calazzo, who actually was in La Rochelle before uh, John O'Gibbs and Raj went in there, uh, the former Gloucester uh, prop, um, he's trying to implement his, his, his style. It just hasn't really, hasn't really hit yet um, or, or sunk in. They've lots of talent, you know, Gabi and Villiers on, on the wing, um, some really good foreign players. So they are talented, but I, I don't think they shouldn't be at the Leinster of Le- uh, the level of Leinster yet. What's interesting for me is the Pro 14 final now. I mean, for Stuart Lancaster and Leo Cullen, you know, their selection for that is is going to be really interesting. You know, because the the, the second string and the and the third string have been phenomenal. Um, and there's very little actually. I don't think there's a huge difference between Leinster's first choice and and second choice. And given that the fact that most of the first choice players are going to probably play against uh, Scotland and against France, and then the Pro 14 finals the week after, then Toulon's the week after that. Mm. Uh, yeah, I wonder. And like, in fairness, I, I thought, thought oh, it'll go full strength, but because there's been rest periods within the Six Nations, there's been the round three and round four, which is cancelled. So they haven't played a huge amount of rugby. The problem is what they have to play that's in front of them could be week to week. So, um, and I think Munster have to go full strength because Munster need to win it. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see uh, where, where do you where do you think um where do you think Leo Cullen will prioritize um progression in Europe and you know getting over the line in Europe versus a, a title a Pro 14 title if he had to if he had to prioritize one game no, it has to be Europe doesn't it have to Leinster be Europe? have to be Leinster have to be back yeah. if they want to 
really um, look at this period of, of, of three or four years, uh, you know, back in 10 years' time as a squad, they have to see themselves as being um, up there, winning European Cups, I, I think. Yeah. I, I, I think so. I think they've shown week, week in, week out that they're, they're the best team in the Pro 14 over the court in, a, in a league format. And they've been pretty good at winning the, the, the finals as well. But I think they would sacrifice. They don't look. They would never want to sacrifice. But if you had to sacrifice losing a final of a Pro 14 to win a European Cup, um, I, I think it has to be the priority now. That's the. That's. The, I think just 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 on that, um, when you think about it, like that, that Leinster team that played in Ulster the other night. I mean, their, their forwards were outstanding. Yeah. Uh, really outstanding. Like you're talking about a second row of Fardy and Devon Toner, a back row. Uh, Reese Ruddock, who we you know we keep talking about here. Josh van der Fleer could be in the Irish team next week. Penny at number eight. Uh, yeah. Like you could slap Jack Conan in there. R. Kaelin Doris could well be back. I mean, they have such an embarrassment of riches. Um, so, and you know, when you're talking about a squad and a panel, what better incentive for the likes of Lancaster and Leo Collard to turn around to those eight forwards now and say, right, lads, I trust you. I'm going to play you against Munster in the final in two or three weeks' time. You deserve to be there. You're the group that got us to this stage. Um, so, you know, I, I think uh, uh, what a message, what a statement that would make for the Leinster squad. It would also, in another way, put even more pressure on Munster because Munster, you, have, uh, you can take it as raid, Munster will be going bald-headed for this uh, final, uh, so therefore the likes of Peter Manny, uh, CJ Stander, Dave Kilcoyne, they'll all be flooded straight back into the team. So, like, what a statement that for for Leinster, the opportunity of of resting a full Ireland pack, um, and and uh, going out and win that. But I I, I agree hundred percent with Birch. Europe has to be their priority. I'd say they were seething with the manner in which they were beaten by Saracens last year. The fact that Saracens didn't even go on to win the thing afterwards. Um, so, I, but listen, isn't it brilliant? What, a, as we say, what a three or four weeks of rugby we have post Six Nations at a time when we thought we might have any rugby. Yeah, absolutely. And just a quick word: when well, you mentioned Ulster, Wes, your man um, Robert Balakul played very well against Leinster at the weekend. There were a couple of standout performances from both the Interpros as well. Um, but there seems to be a bit of excitement about Ulster about this this guy Balakun. Do you think uh, he's he's on the long finger potentially for? An Irish squad, or is that a little bit rushed? I wouldn't have thought so a year or two ago. I suppose when he first came up from the sevens, he was very slight and like he obviously had ability, but he's definitely improved, and you can see the difference in his physique. And I suppose it's like last weekend's games. It probably um, because it was in the middle of the Six Nations, and because there was players released back, it it probably got the attention amongst the public back on the Pro 14 in a way that it hadn't been since maybe the games in August when, when rugby first came back. So I think Balakoon and probably Gavin Thornbury were the guys that, that most benefited. Um, and it was funny just listening to Donald talk about Itoje earlier and nothing revolutionary about it, but I mean, great players or great teams in any sport tend to kind of almost change the way positions are played. And like, if you, if you look at that, that level of pressure Itoje puts on around the rock and puts on nines, it's, not that it wasn't done before, but it, it's, it seems to almost become a defined uh, skill set that, that lots of second rows are starting to, to try to add to their game. And it makes sense, obviously, with their, their size and their wingspan in terms of blocking kicks and things like that. But, but Gavin Thornbury certainly looked like he'd, he'd taken a leaf out of that book at the weekend. Equally as well, I remember what I told you did to Scotland, uh, Donald, and, and uh, it was a it was a client who played for Scotland. I can't. Uh, who was the who was the scrum half? Um, no, Ali Price. Price. Yeah. It was Price. Price. Right, Price, Price right, right a, from the start of the game. He got but an he, awful he, time. He got an awful time from right. Matoji. Um, but equally as well, so players are now teams are going to have to adapt to what those kind of second rows are, are putting pressure on. They're going to have to protect their scrum halves more, aren't they? Well, that's what they were doing with this snake thing, you know, where you had two or three fellas lined <laughs> up, and which I think is appalling. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> you know what I mean, but but uh, you know, and but Brian Hickey wouldn't go for that, no. Huh? <laughs> Brian, Brian Hickey wouldn't, wouldn't go, go for that. that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say we did enough snakes in Carcon. <laughs> <laughs> You're just getting paranoid now at this stage, Donald. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, look, it's it's trends, isn't it? It's amazing. I I, I find it fascinating. You know, that one fella does something, and obviously Atosha has been brilliant at that. 
Uh, you look at the latest trend now, it was out of the game. It was always there when I played rugby a long time ago, but the tap and go penalty five metres out is so much back in vogue brought in by Colin Dickey with Exeter. Now everybody is doing it. Nobody is, you know, when you have that, that position. Um, and just on that, I'm, I'm digressing slightly. This whole thing, like you look at Leinster, obviously fantastic the last day, but all five tries were scored by forwards. Like, any, this whole thing now about, you know, playing territory, getting within that five-meter line and the pick and jam and pick and jam, there's so much of time taken up with this. I know you can score in rugby in a hundred different ways, but uh, do you think, Birch, that, you know, the whole sort of uh, latching on, uh, you know, where how do you defend? I mean, Ian Madigan at one stage was defending in the pillar position yeah. with about 45 stone coming at him. So you have no chance. Yeah, I don't, I think, I'm glad you brought it up. I actually find it incredibly boring um, to watch. And I know we there's a big focus on how long it takes for the start of a whistle for a scrum, for a scrum to be set, etc. But I actually think, at least with a scrum, you know, there might be a bit of excitement when the scrum happens. When teams get into that five-metre challenge, particularly teams like Leinster, who are so belligerent that they don't go to whist. They just back themselves yeah. to score, and they'll go 25 phases. And even lately, even with advantage, they haven't pulled a trigger to go wide because I, I think they see it, they take enjoyment in terms of demoralizing the opposition. And mm. the problem is when you go to wit, and Ulster did this a couple of times, when you go to wit, even on an advantage, and if you don't score, the defense get a breeder, right? And you have to start all over again. So what Leinster have been doing is just keeping it in there. And, and invariably, to stop it, you have to give away a penalty because you have to creep up or you have to uh, maybe not, like, uh, maybe... Uh, stay stay the wrong side because as they come with the latch, it's very difficult to get out of there because they're pre-bound. So um, look, at, it's a very effective way of scoring, and coaches will will play to the, the, the laws there. But I think from a, a spectacle point of view, um, it's just unless someone knocks it on, um, which generally doesn't happen because they're they're all doing it in their own time. It's nearly impossible to get the ball back. It's nearly impossible to get the ball back. And and Ulster, for in fairness, were much more physical in the second half. But Leinster just ground and ground and ground, and eventually they scored. And, and fair play to Leinster, they're good at getting into those positions. But I think from a, a law point of view and a spectacle point of view, um, it's not ideal. And to be and again, for, I would say the guy who takes that quick tap, you know, from a penalty point of view, I mean, that's a suicidal uh, thing to do. Like what James Tracy does for Leinster, what Kevin Dickey does, because effectively there's no, you know, it's, it's you with two latchers against technically eight, you know, after that, at least a couple of guys are on the ground. But um, yeah, it's 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 not it's not pleasant, and I don't know how the law the law uh, makers can can take it out of the game. And it's one of those trends that now is in, and coaches and players will keep using it until until it doesn't become effective. And it's hard to see how it won't. Sorry, Hugh. Yeah, just on that there, when Bernard's talking about the the lawmakers maybe having a responsibility in that situation. I, I don't know what the two lads think, but I, I've like rugby was always quite a stop start game by comparison with some other sports. But I think the new breakdown laws are the umpteenth case in the last number of years in terms of law tweaks where there's been more unintended consequences than what, what the actual plan was. And I, I think to an average spectator, I think the game has become so stop start now with penalties at the breakdown, either defending or attacking penalties. I think when you combine that with this kind of pick and jam scenario close to the opposition line. And when the lads have both used the word trends umpteen times in, in, in the last couple of sentences. And it's, you know, I saw Peter Stringer doing a piece prior to Munster Connacht the other night on TV where he highlighted kicking into the backfield in the space that's between two defenders back there because the nine isn't covering the backfield typically anymore. And to watch the game after that, you would have thought Stringer was clairvoyant because it happened so many times exactly what he looked at. And the, the point I'm making is that a lot of coaching seems to be driven by trends rather than innovation. Um, and and if, if kind of slavish adherence to trends coupled with a couple of follies in, in terms of lawmaking, like combined, like it's a massively diluting effect on the spectacle and the excitement of the sport. Yeah, yeah. Wesley, I agree with you. And, and to be honest, the coaches who are copying the trends, um, they'll, they won't 
catch Leinster, for example, or they won't catch Toulouse because they have more talent anyway. And, and there are, you know, so they're going to be better at it. I would say the problem at the moment is, and sorry, the laws are actually fine. Um, but player teams know that. Do you think the breakdown law is fine? No, but I'm talking about that pick and go stuff from five yards out, just to go back to my point. Uh, the team, the referees are only really looking at the defensive team there, right? So that's what you see. Penalty advantage. It's always for, it's always for the against the defensive team for creeping up the rook or not rolling away or, or no arms tackle, etc. Players, the, the attacking team, know referees are very rarely ping them for sealing off, right? Which you could, right? You you move that type of of tactic further up the field with 30 seconds to go or a minute to go, where a team tries to wind down the clock with constant pick and goes, pick and goes. They're going. To, the referee will, will then more than likely uh, penalise the attacking team for sealing off. That's why teams are very careful around how many rooks they play to, to wind the clock down because they know it's um, it's more the referee will have in his head they're trying to wind down the clock. Hmm. So I think it's just a case of, of the uh, if the referees were really strict. I'm not trying to blame referees here, but just at the moment they they focus on the defensive side only five yards out. I think if they actually were were more careful around the sealing off, which happens all the time, the the cleaner cleaning past, opening up the gate, etc. If they start to ping that a little bit, it would actually make the, make it more. Um, the trend would be you have to actually look to where the space is more so than just constantly right. picking a goal. But yet yeah. the referees seem to be paying no attention to the defensive side uh, when they're defending further out the field in terms of policing an offside line. Yeah. Mm. That's yeah, true. that's true. true. And Rob Rob Carney's comments as well um, during the week about the difference he's found almost straight away since moving down in the pace of the game, the tempo of the game, and the skills required to play the game in the Southern Hemisphere versus what he's left in Northern. <coughs> we'll come back to this maybe another time because it's um, we're almost out of time for this weekend. All right, lads. But finally, just uh, predictions this weekend: England, France. Wes, are you going to go for a French win and Ireland and Scotland, Ireland as well? How do you see that one? Just quickly. Ireland and France, and no more talk of Meghan and Harry is my hopeful prediction. <laughs> Poor Piers Morgan. Go on, Donald. <laughs> yeah, do you know, I think um, I'm going for three away wins. I, I don't think it's ever happened uh, in the Six Nations where you've had three away wins in the one weekend. Um, that, that's, uh, so, therefore, I'm looking at France, Ireland and, and Wales. Wales to win. Right. Okay. Yeah. Mad that we could go into the final weekend in the Six Nations and Wales are going for the Grand Slam. Jesus. Bernard. Um, yeah. give us your predictions I'll go um, Ireland, England, Wales okay good stuff lads pleasure as always thanks so much for company enjoy the weekend's rugby we're back next week <laughs>